Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Mary Lou MacDonald, you might have seen her, she was on the Late Late Show the other night, and a very impressive interview, I have to say. I don't normally watch the Late Late Show too often, but I did watch it the other night because Mary Lou was on it. I set it to record, and I watched it a little bit later because I was watching the movie, but I have to say, a very impressive interview, and she's written a letter now to Leo Varadkar, and she joins me on the line, Sinn Féin President Mary Lou, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. I was very, very impressed with your interview, not just about your openness and your honesty about how the COVID-19 affected you and your own personal family, because it's, it's unusual for us to hear, you know, when we hear politicians talking about their personal life. And during this COVID-19, we've heard a lot of that from politicians. So we see that they are real people, just like the rest of us, and they're not Ill, infallible in some way. So it was nice to hear. And, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I'm delighted to hear that you're feeling much better again as well, for you and your family as well. But it gets you back in the game again, Mary Lou, I suppose, because people are saying you were kind of out of the game for a while. Well, I was I was knocked back and I just wasn't well, you know, so it, it, it took it out of me. But I'm, I'm so happy and grateful to be back, Niall, and I'm so aware of people who are currently fighting this virus who might be very sick with this, and I wish them a speedy recovery and I'm particularly mindful of now all of the families who have buried loved ones my god Mm. what a heartbreak and in in these circumstances of restrictions on wakes and funerals and it's really really tough stuff like really really I watched a guy the other night on RT News an elderly man and he was at the door of a care home talking to RT with a kind of long boom microphone and he was on a a Zimmer frame and he had said his wife had injured herself back in February and she was at home and she only lived 200 yards down the road he said at Super Value and he said she used to come and see him and his son and he hasn't seen either of them since February he was a frail old man and I'm saying isn't it sad that our elderly a lot of them a lot of them will die without seeing their loved ones you know, in the last, you know, few weeks of their lives. I, I find that equally as difficult to handle as them dying in the first place. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, of all of the restrictions that have been imposed, you know, the two kilometre limit, um, people not at work, people losing their jobs, people who've built up businesses over years, in some cases, businesses that, that have been built over generations, worried sick as to whether or not they get back on their feet and they'll get back going. Kids at home, leaving cert students, so stressed out and so worried. Um, and all of that is a stressor on all of us collectively as a community. But the biggest heartbreak, I agree with you, the most difficult piece is around our older people, our parents, our grandparents, and the idea of being sick uh, and passing on without that human, that physical and family um, mm-hmm. connection and is absolutely heartbreaking. I agree with you. It's, because it's always a thing that, shocking. you know, there's a real Irish thing there, you know, oh, he died last Saturday, but we were all there. We were all around. Absolutely. And it's oh, a very Irish thing, isn't it? That we were all there when they died. And, the, and we remember those moments, even if it's just to hold their hand or to hear their last couple of words or whatever it is, or to, to watch them just pass away peacefully. That idea, it kind of gives comfort to people in some way, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, they're defining moments in any human life I mean and do you know one of the things that becomes apparent um, in the course of this health emergency is that your health is your wealth your your family your your connections your friends your community the people in your life are 
absolutely everything. Yep. Um, and I, I think that's the reason why um, people have just responded. And it needs to be said now because there's been a lot of kind of commentary now about complacency and people getting impatient, all of which I understand and, and all the rest of it. But it's so important that it's recognised how magnificently the Irish people I'm glad have you rallied said that. to very difficult, very difficult circumstances. But, I, can, I, I, but can I say something to you before yeah. you go any further? The, the, the language that was used last week, and I commented on this at the time in relation to Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris, that if the restrictions are not lifted on Tuesday or if some restrictions are not lifted on Tuesday, it was almost you only have yourselves to blame because they talked exactly. about the complacency. And I felt that there was a psychological effort put into that language that it was pointing fingers and I don't want to see people pointing fingers today for example no, no. Mary Lou I want to get maybe your opinion on this before I come to your letter very quickly uh, the staff of Debenhams as you know are going through a very tough time at the moment um, and they're protesting again today they did it last week as well the staff of Henry Street uh, were moved on by the guards whereas the staff around the country were actually assisted by the guards supervised by the guards today the staff in Cork had their names taken by the police and I know Pat Phelan who would be known to most people on Twitter at the moment as yeah. I suppose a, a philanthropist almost who's helping out care workers at the moment has said the Garda Shekhan need to step back. Now I think we need to have a level of common sense. They were keeping their distance. There's a photograph of them all protesting again today. They're all at least three or four metres apart just standing there silently with their placards because it's the only thing they know how to do you know just to fight for their own rights. It's a difficult time for them to fight for their rights. And then you have the police coming down and taking their names. I mean. Yeah and I, I, I think that is you know the the emergency measures are there for a reason. They are not permanent. They are unfortunately necessary. Uh, and the Gardaí and the authorities correctly have been given additional powers uh, because this virus not only can make you very sick, it kills, and we are in a position of great danger. However, those uh, powers have to be used proportionally. And as you say, COP-ON has to guide what people do. And... You know, the, the Debenhams workers um, have, uh, from what I can hear, certainly in the circles that I move in and that, that I listen to and people are in touch with me, massive support right across We've the had them on the people air. Are, we have them on again yeah, today. We've have, had them on the air every time. Fairness, you've, given them, you've given them a great opportunity to, to speak out, again, in what are very, very difficult circumstances. And I could see from the, the protests, as I saw them... Um, that people were making every effort to, to physically distance and, and all the rest. And they were there to make a point about their livelihood, their jobs. And, well, I mean, and the idea so of their protest was not to get, when I say public support, because there's no members of the public passing by, but it, exactly. was, to get, it was to get media support because it's the only thing they can do at the moment. And I just find it like, uh, well done to the Garda Khan. Of course, they have to implement the law, and I understand that. But for God's sake, I mean, use your common sense. Stand that's, there if you want to, issue. put a car across the road, supervise it, make sure that everybody is, you know, keeping their distance. And but let them have their little half. It's only a half an hour, for God's sake, a half an hour protest. But going over and taking people's names, or as they did in Henry Street last week with the staff of Henry Street, telling them to move on or they'll be arrested. That's like intimidation. That's dreadful. Yeah, it's, well, it's, 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 it's unnecessarily, it, it's the old thing of using the sledgehammer to crack the nut. It's completely unnecessary and, and heavy-handed. I, I know today at one o'clock there is an, unlo- an online event for Debenhams workers. That's right. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be logging into that. That's a virtual really, protest, really yeah. A virtual, yeah. yeah. So, so let's not either lose uh, any sense of the power of those kind of uh, those kind of actions too, and look, uh, 
Well, if you, I mean, if you were to say something to Drew Horace, it would be obviously that all the Garda have these powers, this emergency legislation, which was brought in under the Public Order Act and the Emergency Legislation Act. I mean, what they should do is use it, as you said rightly, proportionately and a level and of common sense. with their sense. discretion. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So there is, always a, there is always a level of discretion and judgment that, that anyone will, will use when exercising their lawful powers. And these are extraordinary powers. Like in ordinary circumstances, Niall, if the Oireachtas had given the Gardaí and others these kind of powers, there would be an absolute hue and cry on your show, and correctly so, mm-hmm. because it's a big curtailment of people's freedoms. I, I'm really, really conscious of that. I'm also conscious that it, it won't last forever. It can't last forever. It's necessary for now. But we also now need a planned, thoughtful pathway forward. And we actually have to trust people, to, as grown-ups, trust our citizens to actually be able to understand that and to support And, and I think you rightly said the majority of the population have been very compliant oh, within reason because we do as the human rights people have said already in this country everybody has different circumstances we have for example families where mother and fathers might have access to children so they might have to move between houses and the judges have said that's okay so we need to use a little bit of level of common sense now to get to your letter of course to Leo yeah. Baradker, um, of course you talk about testing needs to be ramped up we have failed miserably when it comes to testing up to this point really haven't we particularly when it came to the elderly? Yes, is the short answer. And uh, if, if I learned anything through my own experience, it was like directly the, the big gap between what's been announced and re-announced and what's actually happening on the ground. So I waited 16 days for my own result. By no means was I unique. There were many, many others who waited that long and longer. And some of them were frontline front workers, health workers left in that position. Insanity. Um, and you're right to point out testing of identifiable vulnerable groups like nursing homes uh, and so on simply didn't happen and wasn't on the radar until very uh, recently now. Um, well, why, aren't, saying, why aren't we looking at, say, for example, let's look at America for a second and let's not talk about Donald Trump, but just let's look at America, right? And America currently at the moment are using a testing system called the Abbott testing system. Now, it has its problems. It's about 85% successful, right? It's a machine that literally does it in 10 minutes. But wouldn't that be a wonderful machine to say to have in a care home? That even if it's only 85% successful, at least it may identify some workers who are coming in who might be COVID positive. That workers could be tested every day going in. That might help relieve some of that or in hospitals or places where generally people are vulnerable. These, I don't know how much these machines cost. I know America has just bought something like 70 or 80 million of the bloody things. But I don't, you know, so with those kind of, we're not, we don't seem to be looking outside of our own country when it comes to testing at the moment. America have tested 5 million people. I mean, that's an yeah. incredible amount of people. They're testing them in Walmart, in Target, in uh, all the different stores. They're testing. Anybody who wants to be tested can be just tested. And I, I well, think look, that's it, the way we should be looking because if yeah. we can do that, we can start reopening again. Yeah. So the commitment now is to test 100,000 a week and that needs to be the kind of scale of testing that we need to achieve to do the thing that we all want to happen which is to facilitate a safe safe exit from the emergency uh, measures. Uh, The the trick here and and what needs to be established here is that this is not just an announcement that that actually happens on the ground and it's not just a case of taking the swabs and taking the samples. The testing itself happens in laboratories so we need to make sure we have the right laboratory capacity. We need to ensure that the right turnaround t- time is observed because the, the return of a positive uh, test to an individual not alone confirms your own health status, 
but it also triggers contact tracing. So in other words, conversations with those that you had contact with, and then they in turn have to be checked for, for their health and, and so on. So it's like a big chain reaction that actually is an ongoing strategy that we're going to have to have to keep pace with or get ahead of this virus, to isolate it where we find it. Uh, and, and that is going to be the order of the day, Nile, until such time as we have antivirals, in other words, medicines and treatments, or until such time mm-hmm. as we have a vaccine. Uh, and and we, need, of, we need to stop maybe talking about a vaccine. I don't mean that in a negative way, but there has been experts in the world who said we've never really had a very successful vaccine for viruses. We have for diseases, obviously, smallpox and polio and all those other diseases, but viruses tend to, the vaccines tend to be hit and miss as it is hit and miss with the flu, for example, or SARS or any other uh, swine flu, or any other, the vaccine for swine flu, I think, was taken off the market because of, there was problems with it. So we need to stop focusing on a vaccine. If we do, that's great if we get a vaccine. But if we don't, we need to look at how we can live with this virus because we could be living for, for the next decade. Well, hopefully it won't be that, that far ahead. I would be hopeful that they will achieve a vaccine or vaccines. And then, of course, it's effectiveness and safety and all of that has to be tested long before it ever comes for human uh, consumption. Um, but you're right to say that in the here and now, we need to find a way that we can resume a new kind of normality, perhaps, but that we can actually get back out and, and people can live their lives. So you can see your family. Like, I haven't seen my mommy in weeks. I know <laughs> there's cankers. All of your listeners are saying, yeah, yeah, me too. But, um, we, but we also need to be factor into that, that the majority of us are healthy people, thankfully. Absolutely. And absolutely. the majority of us, absolutely. and it's something that we need to constantly reiterate, the majority of us, if we do get the virus, we'll get through it. You may get it bad like you did, and I got pneumonia. But, you, la- but you'll fight it all. Absolutely. absolutely. I got pneumonia last year, and I, I know how it feels to be knocked out in bed for a week uh, and a half. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But okay, what about clarity? I mean, again, we're coming up to another weekend where, you know, the, the, everybody has the fifth on their mind. Uh, Leo mentioned this morning he doesn't see much lift, lifting of restrictions because sadly, sadly the debt rate or the data uh, doesn't show that we can do that yet. So that's kind of disappointed a lot of people. We don't seem, to, we still don't, although the government keep talking about this roadmap all the time, there isn't, doesn't seem to be a clarity there. Everybody, you know, and, and there's contradictions. Like we were told two weeks ago in the Irish Times, the clarity by the, the head of the HSE, that elderly people, if they felt healthy and they had a healthy regime, they could go out for a walk. There's no losses. They can't. They just advise them to stay in. And now we're hearing, oh, one of the restrictions that might be lifted is elderly people people will be allowed to go out. So there's kind of contradictory statements coming out I mean, I've been concerned and critical, but born from concern of two things. The testing bit that we talked about, if we don't get that right, we're storing up trouble for ourselves. And then the second piece has been just the mixed messages, the lack of clarity. Like, I think, I'll be honest with you, I think it's entirely wrong for any member of government to point the finger at the people and say, look, we're not lifting these on May 5th and it's your fault. I think that's wrong. The failure is actually, irrespective of what people had been or hadn't been doing, in the absence of proper testing and tracing, it would not be safe. It simply would not be safe to radically ease or to lift the restrictions. And people who are in authority and in in positions of decision-making and in government know that. So that's why I wrote to, to Leo Varadkar to set out my own sense and, and Sinn Féin's sense of the measures that how you judge and when you judge that you can move forward. But also to say to him very clearly, we can't have kite flying and confusion 
Uh, what we need is clarity now and trust people to be able to understand. We're all grown ups. Like, uh, let me give you an example. Last weekend or the weekend before, there was speculation by the health minister thinking out loud about the reopening of schools. I know in numerous cases, friends of mine and contacts and different people who have children for communion this year, there was panic sparked in community, in school communities because people were saying, oh my God, is the communion back on? People not prepared. How are we going to manage this? Not least financially because so many people now are have lost work or have lost their jobs. And I think people who make big decisions and who are in government have to understand that what you say is heard and then what is heard is it, will is how people behave. Yeah. You know, and I, I think we need to be fair with each other. If we're asking, and we have asked people to make extraordinary changes to their lives, incredible changes to their lives, people have rallied. And in return... They have to get the full information. They have to be treated like adult, grown-up citizens. That's the transparency thing that we keep talking about. So and and there, has to be a, there has to be a balance, too, because I know at the moment people, there's a lot of people in this country, and we've had people on the air crying because they're suffering from depression. We had a woman on last week, Absolutely. and she said she's never suffered from depression in her life, and she started sobbing on the air because she said, I can't deal with this anymore. I can't deal with staying here and not seeing my daughter anymore. I, can't, I just can't deal with it. But, yeah. but getting back to the schools, the suggestion and the there's leaked information at the moment that they, the, the Leaving Cert students may be the first to go back um, and that will be in the coming weeks. Um, now, is this not just a case of the government are worried sick and just doing this because they're afraid that in the future these Leaving Cert students could sue the state because of the mess that just has preceded this? Well, I, I think there's, uh, there is um, a, a reality now that if, if it is not the case that in early June that the minister can be absolutely definitive and say that students for the Leaving Cert can safely, and let me emphasise the word safely, return to school for the contact hours on an identified date, that the exams will begin definitely on the 29th, and here's the timetable, and that all of that can be done safely, and that we have all the measures and mechanisms in place to make that happen. Uh, if, if, if I, I think but that clarity is not there from Joe McHugh at the moment. No, He's given not, a date, no. that's all. I mean, Yeah, that's it. So I'm making the point, um, Niall, that if there isn't that level of clarity at the beginning of June, then they are going to have to look for a plan B. I know a lot of the students and their families are very, very uh, upset and a lot of the young people are under the most awful pressure. Um and I know that many of them believe that a different kind of grading and assessment mm-hmm. process should be adopted. And I also understand the dangers with such a process because it's not something that's been done before. There's an issue of fairness, transparency. Would there be a lot of appeals? And I get all of that. But let me reiterate, if we don't have the absolute clarity and an assurance that things can be done safely by the beginning of June, then there has to be a plan B. So I certainly hope um, that those within the Department of Education are working on that plan B. Okay, um, and finally, in relation to when we recover from all this and when we start mm-hmm. phasing in things, and that's what we'd all like to see, some sort of phased plan, right? Um, and we return back to normal. Um, the money, that's what everybody's yep. talking about as well. We're in this so far, you know, on a 12-week period, uh, economists reckon up to about 45 billion. 
and um, that's probably what it's going to cost the economy when you take into the consideration there's no tax returns at the moment because businesses yeah. are closed we're paying out covid payments and social welfare payments and all sorts of things and we're and we're giving you know uh, subsidies to, to employers so 45 billion is the estimate lost to the economy I mean, are we looking at another austerity as we did back in 2010 uh, for the population for the next five or six years to pay back this money? Well, uh, let me say from from my perspective, absolutely not. Um, in, in fact, to heap austerity on an economy that has gone through now a shock and a trauma like no other would be a recipe for disaster. The, the right road to get us back on our feet is to invest to stimulate and to build. And we should remember that this isn't just a, you know, a a pandemic, you know, or a a public health crisis in Ireland. This is a global phenomenon and the global community is going to have to do what I have described there, uh, rebuild, invest, and stimulate. Should we invest in the people as well to boost the Absolutely. economy? Because they've done this in the past historically. It's it's called helicopter money. Uh, yeah, and helicopter essentially, money. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we would have to get the go-ahead from Europe, and the Euro- Europe would obviously have to be in charge of that, the responsible for that decision as well, because we are part of the European Union. But literally printing money and bypassing the banks and handing it to the people, as they did in America many times, with stimulus packages. Well, um, I've, I've heard David McWilliams talk a lot about the, the helicopter uh, money, what, what, what we... What we all know and what I hope we can agree on, and certainly the European system, the European Central Bank um, has already made uh, a commitment in respect of 500 uh, billion. Everybody is on the page for now of understanding that what has happened to us has been a huge trauma, that uh, it is going to be expensive, it is going to require borrowing and money to get us back on our feet. What we need to watch as, as this story unfolds is that we don't, or the system, and in this country, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in particular, don't relapse again to the same old same diet of hardship and raw toothed capitalism and cutbacks for workers and families and communities whilst protecting the big institutions, the banks, the insurance companies and and so on. That would be a disaster. On that note, just before I wrap it up, obviously you would like to be part, (coughs) pardon me, of all those decisions going forward. And you suggested the other night you're still happy uh, with the idea of being a Taoiseach. I mean, the Taoiseach of this country. Where are we at now at that point? Because obviously, I mean, there was two weeks ago, we all thought it was going to be Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael once again, uh, because you obviously were, when I say incapacitated, you weren't around as much as you are now. We're seeing you back in the limelight again. Sinn Féin obviously got a popular vote. So do you see that? Are you in talks at the moment? And is anybody playing games with you? Well, we're, we're in, we've been in talks and we've been talking to everybody who will talk to us since the election. And, and actually, we, we've done some good work with the parties and with some of the independents and established substantial common ground and areas for act- actually in, in more detail than the framework document that the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael produced. It, 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 two things um, will really decide what happens next. Number one is the decision of parties, the the smaller parties, as they're called. They have to make a call. Are they going to put Fianna Fáil plus Fine Gael back in government again together? That's their, to my mind, that would be a bad day. It's not what people voted for. And it will not have the capacity to deliver the kind of things 
that Ireland would need, particularly as we rebuild post uh, COVID nineteen. I mean, if and it wasn't COVID nineteen, but if it wasn't COVID nineteen, Mary, you could happily go into a second ele- election and run more candidates, which was probably a mistake by your own admission in the first place. Yeah, but, yeah. But I mean, in saying that, we're not at that in that position, and we probably no, no, couldn't do that. We're not. And and here's the second thing, and this is the real story. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I mean, I said it during the election. They've held power between them. Um, for almost a century, and they're not minded to let anyone else in or, or to let go. And they have decided, and they brag about the fact that they're keeping Sinn Féin out. An extraordinary kind of brag. You know, I don't take, this isn't about me. This is about the half million people who voted for Sinn Féin to represent them. And not to be sitting on the sidelines, to represent them in government and to actually deliver housing that can be afforded, rents that can be afforded, a health service that actually works for people, uh, fairness in terms of a pension age and a decent uh, income level for people and, and, and. And Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael took a decision that they want to keep us out, not because they don't think we're fit for government. No, no. It, it's because they know that we're more than fit for government and they don't want to let us in. And they have decided then that they won't even speak to us. Imagine actually being so arrogant as to say, we're not even discussing things with you on behalf of the half million people that you represent. So if they maintain that position, then we're in a, a checkmate situation. It's, it's, it's brought stagnation. So, and no so very, very quickly, what's going to happen then? We, we, I mean, I don't think you'd welcome a second election because we can't have one at the moment, unfortunately. It just wouldn't be physically possible under the current circumstances. And I can't see that happening before September. So if we're in a stalemate situation, what's going to happen then? Well, that, that is the million dollar uh, question, what, what I intend. I can't, I don't have control, Niall, over the decisions that the Green Party or the Social Democrats of the Labour Party, they will have to decide, do they want Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael back in government, yes or no? I, I can't uh, control Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael insisting that they wish to keep us out. I, I wish that they would change that position. What I can say is that I still remain resolutely uh, convinced that there is the making of a much better government than Fianna Fáil okay. or Fine Gael that would have driving it and leading it, people who actually passionately believe in delivering the kind of progress that our people now desperately need. Listen, thank you very much indeed, and uh, continue to go to health you. Thank you very Thanks, much, Mary Lou. Lovely you too. Uh, Sinn Féin President Mary Lou MacDonald. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.